Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history, using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And congratulations, you have found the internet's finest podcast about music that cancels auto races. Uh, We're going to have a special turntable talk for you later, but we like to warm you guys up with a little bit of music trivia. You know more than I know. You know more than I know. You know more All right, I'm going to start today, and Joe, I have an audio quiz for you. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Mexican rock music, and one of the big things from the late 50s and, well, throughout the 60s, were that Mexican kids would get their hands on British and U.S. music, and what they would do is they would record it almost note for note, and that, but just change the lyrics to Spanish and sometimes change the song titles to make it fit. So I have eight of these tracks, and so I'm going to play them for you, and I want you to tell me just simply what the English song is. Are you ready? Yeah, sounds fun. Okay, track one. Track two. Track Track five. Track six. Track 7. And track Ocho. Do you recognize any of those hits? I recognize some, some of them, and I, I would very much like to hear uh, there's one near the end that i would very much like to hear the whole thing i think i know which song it is okay and we'll come back to the end and you can embarrass me at that point when i don't know as many of these as i think i do now i I look forward to that all right (laughs) my quiz for you is the non-audio quiz what i'm going to do with this one is i'm going to give you clues about a festival that took place at some point in history most of these are generally late 60s to early 70s, but there are a couple others that aren't. I'm going to give you a clue. Okay. I want you to tell me what the festival I'm talking about is. Oh, okay. Music festival specifically. Ooh, okay. I don't know too many, but we'll give it a shot. So here we go. 
This event was organized by the frontmen of the band Ultravox and the Boomtown Rats, though it was the frontman of the Culture Club who originally came up with the, the idea. It was a one-day event on two continents and was billed as the Global Jukebox. Live Aid? Yes, it is. All right. There you go. See? You got this. Yep. Okay. Boomtown Rats <clears throat> gave it away. There you go. I, I knew it. Darn Damn it. I knew it. <laughs> okay. Good job. This festival ran from 1968 to 1970, but had grown so popular that the community added an ordinance that, in a way, limited the number of potential attendees to 5,000. The 1970 festival, which was the last one, drew over 600,000. 68 to 70, you said? 68 to 70. Ooh. I think the Monterey Pop Festival had several years. I'm going to say that. It is not. It's the Isle of Wight. I should have oh. maybe given some more clues on that. Yeah, the 69 one where Bob Dylan skipped Woodstock, where people thought he'd show up, and went there. And 70 with Leonard Cohen. Yep. And a lot of other people. This one is a 1973 festival that was more of an event, um, as no other concerts happened again at that location until 2011. But in 1973, there were three bands. They played for over 600,000 people. The first band played for five hours, the second for three hours, and the third for four hours. All of that happened, and a skydiver was killed overhead when a flare he was carrying ignited in his suit. That you might not know about, if you know about the rest of it. This one's a tough one. Uh, no, I was... Uh, it's, it's too late for, like, Altamont, I think. It is. I don't know. I have no clue. Summer Jam at Watkins Glen with the Grateful Dead, the band, and the Allman Brothers. I figured it had to be the Grateful Dead was involved. Yeah. The band played for... was How long did the band play for? They played for three hours. Man. But I think they all came back to jam after. It's a concert I couldn't have been far enough away from. <laughs> the next one. This annual festival was almost called July Fun Festival for its inaugural 10-day event in the summer of 1968. In 1970, it found its permanent home on a former Nike missile site where it is now still held every year it has been since then. In 1999, Guinness Book of World Records awarded it the title of the world's largest music festival. It's still going on today? Still going on. I have been to one of these. What? Oh. I've been to one. At a missile site. At a missile site. A lakeshore missile oh, site. It's that Chicago one. Oh, is it Riot Fest or? It's it's not. Uh, Riot Fest hasn't been around since 1968. <laughs> I guess not. I have no clue. Summerfest in Milwaukee. Oh, oh. Who'd you see at Summerfest? Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. And then just you walk around all day and see other things. It's it's a lot of people, so it's pretty much dreadful. But uh, <laughs> it was fun seeing. seeing. As long as. Bob Two Dylan. of those hundreds of thousand people are Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson. Should be okay. Yeah, there you go. Now I'm sure they were walking around, milling about. Next one. This festival featured three accidental deaths, two from a hit and run, and one a drowning, as well as one one death that was absolutely not accidental at all. It was a stabbing death. Needless to say, this did not become an annual festival. I think that might have been Altamont. That's Altamont. Two more. This festival started in 1970, and it was called the P. 
Pilton Pop Blues and Folk Festival. Tyrannosaurus Rex played the first year when the Kinks didn't make it. It changed its name in 1971 and became an annual festival in 1981, and it's still going today. It is, it is not in this country. Is it the All Tomorrow's Parties? Or is it oh, Glastonbury? Glastonbury. Yeah, you would have got, got it. Sorry, I guess, I guess, no, that's fine. Yep, I, yep. I figured out as soon as I said that. Yep. All right. Last one. This festival started in Chicago in 2005. In 2013, the replacements reunited at this festival, playing what had become all three of the festival's host cities. I think that one might be all tomorrow's parties. Riot Fest, you named it earlier. Jesus. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. Yeah, no, no, my fault. I was trying something new with this. I'm not really a big festival guy. Oh, I'm not either. You know, people talk a lot like Bonnaroo and and going to those things. Like, it just seems like horrible. I don't know how else to say it. I will say one time I saw um, Devo at an oldies concert, which is not exactly a festival, but close enough. And it was like one of the, I mean, this is like 2000. Five, <laughs> well past their prime. And it was like one of the best live shows I've ever seen. Oh, that's really cool. I would say that there's pe- some people who probably that is like, you know, the perfect time for them to see a bunch of bands and hang out with a lot of people. I'm just not one of them. Yeah, the problem with it is it's people and it's outside. And then there's people too, <laughs> which it just sounds terrible. Maybe if uh, the podcast gets big enough, we can host our own music festival here in, uh, here in Ray City. We call it the Skunk Ape Festival. There's lots of space. There's lots of farm out here. Oh, yeah. There you go. And it would be something that I wouldn't want to go to. Yep. I would Great. curate it, and I still wouldn't go. We it's won't be It's in my there. city. It's the only thing in my city I still <laughs> might not go. <laughs> You're All right. I think after that, we can move along now into our main event, Turntable Talk. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind According to legend, in September 1847, six young Mexican cadets were the only remaining soldiers defending Mexico City's Chapultepec Castle from invading U.S. forces during the Mexican-American War. The battle was probably over from the beginning, with only 800 soldiers and students trying to fight off 2,000 hardened American troops from taking the key defensive point. After two hours of bloody battling, the order was given to retreat. However, these niños heroes refused to fall back, choosing instead to fight to their deaths. Juan Escutilla, the last remaining cadet, seeing that the fortress was overrun, chose to wrap the Mexican flag around his body and plummet off the top of the castle to his death, to prevent the flag and himself from falling into the grasp of the U.S. Army. 124 years later, Mexican youth made yet another stand, this time against their own repressive government. Hundreds of thousands of students and young people gathered at a lake near a golf course in a town called Valle de Bravo to celebrate freedom and rock and roll. The 1971 festival Rock y Ruidas de Avandaro was much more than a Mexican Woodstock. It was an act of bravery with a deep resounding voice of resistance. It was rougher and more powerful. Sadly, though, its repercussions would end up taking down the Mexican rock movement. To fully capture, the importance of the concert requires a bit of backstory on the political and social climate of the era. The Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, held power in Mexico during this time. 
To the outside world, they wanted to give the appearance of a modern functional government by hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. However, the PRI had actively and violently been repressing youth movements for years. The Mexican Dirty War saw the PRI, backed by the USA, work to put down left-wing and guerrilla groups. In October of 1968, just days before the Summer Olympics in Mexico City, a peaceful protest of 50,000 students and civilians turned into a bloody massacre with government helicopters and snipers targeting the kids. Details are hazy, but the official number of dead from the Tlatelolco massacre was 44, but many eyewitnesses and historians estimate the number of dead and disappeared closer to 400. And just months before the Avondaro Festival, Mexican black ops soldiers killed 120 protesters during the Corpus Christi Festival. This tragedy became known as El Alcanazo. Mexico had a burgeoning counterculture in the 1960s known as La Onda, which meant the wave. La Onda was a multidisciplinary artistic and free-thinking movement that encompassed music, literature, film, art, and addressing social issues which challenged the tightly ruled norms established by the PRI. The seed of change was planted as youth slowly found Elvis Presley and started emulating his style, his hair, and eventually his sound. As the conservative establishment lamented what they saw as a collapse of modern society, what historian Eric Solos calls the de madre, or unmothering, the youth flocked to the exciting sound and rebellious mindset. The movement was spurred on by the import of American and British rock and roll. In the late 50s and early 60s, Mexican youth began playing their favorite rock songs, translating their lyrics to Spanish, but keeping the sound the same. Labels like Orpheon would put out these cover albums called Refritos, like we heard earlier, and suddenly rock and roll was everywhere, much to the dismay of the government who disapproved of the imitation of U.S. and European hooligan music. Here's a clip of one of the most popular of these bands, Los Teen Tops, with La Plaga, which is a reworking of Little Richard's Good Golly, Miss Molly. As musical boundaries around the world expanded, so too did musicians from Mexico want the freedom to create their own songs, sound, tone, and style. They were no longer content with simply copying songs. In the late 60s, bands started forming who'd write their own songs more focused on current events, social issues, and the disapproval of government policies. These bands called their native countercultural movement La Onda Chicana, which aimed to foster Mexican identities, embrace all social classes, and sing about the world from their own view. These bands were feared for their cynicism and ideology that challenged the powers that be. The Avondaro sound was a blend of straightforward garage rock, electric blues, and psychedelia, with soulful vocals and flourishes of Mexicali horns. The words were initially sung in English, a purposeful departure from the Spanish-language cover songs that had dominated the rock airwaves for the past decade. There were a great number of short-lived bands during the Avondaro era. We want to discuss some of those that we think best capture the spirit of the movement. Los Dudugs were hailed as the Mexican Beatles, which makes sense, being they basically started as a Beatles cover band. But as they developed, they formed an identity with idiosyncratic songwriting, bright psychedelic swirls, and hopeful lyrics. The band was one of the most inventive and celebrated groups to emerge. Their first two records, the self-titled one and Smog, are both worth tracking down. Here's 
World of Love from their first record. The most commercially successful Mexican group of the era was the appropriately named La Revolución de Emiliano Zapata. They cut a single called Nasty Sex, sung in English on Polydor Records. Despite an ambiguous message on sexuality, the song was a danceable hit, got major airplay, and created a sense of an insurgent attitude without directly going after the government, giving a sound to the struggle and hearkening back to the freedom fighters of the past. Here's the song, which Joe and I think is Pretty damn awesome. was invited to perform at the Avandaro concert, but it was already booked elsewhere. Love Army was another fantastic band that missed out on the concert. In fact, they were caught in traffic behind the hordes of fans heading to the show. They totally encapsulated the counterculture sound. More outwardly political, their song, Caminita Cerebral, was huge, the band from Radio Airplay for controversial lyrics about long hair, unions, repression, and justice. Also, the former singer, Pajaro Alberto, might have my favorite folky onda Chicana song called Seguir al Sol, which was written about the Avandaro Festival. <laughs> Three Souls in My Mind, later known as El Tri, 
is notable for their willingness to sing songs in both English and Spanish. As it was originally seen as inauthentic for La Onda Chicana bands to sing in Spanish, El Tribe bucked the system so they could deliver their message, actually switching from English to Spanish mid-concert at Avondaro. They are known as the grandfathers of Mexican rock. Here is 1972's Boogie del Diablo. A few other bands of note that performed at the concerts included El Ritual, who had a bit more of a mystical hypnotic bent. Tinta Blanca's 20-plus minute opus Avandaro became an unofficial concert theme. Though not at the concert, Kaleidoscope and Low Spiders are a couple other psychedelic bands of the Avandaro scene that are a lot of fun and well worth a listen. Um, you should all check those out. The concert itself is an interesting example of a well-thought-out marketing opportunity getting completely overrun and morphing into a massive moment of zeitgeist. The original idea came from two brothers, Eduardo and Alfonso Lopez Negrete, who wanted to promote and revitalize an auto racing track. After seeing the popularity of Woodstock, Isle of Wight, and other music festivals, the brothers and some other promoters decided that having a sideshow event with a few popular bands would help attract people to the race. The event was called Festival Rock y Ruidas de Avandaro, the Avandaro Festival of Rock and Wheels. The promoters assembled an, a team and within a short period of time had booked 12 bands to play for free for an anticipated 25,000 spectators. They also hinted at maybe an American surprise guest, who at the time was rumored to be Carlos Santana. And while no one could predict the massive turnout, it was clear that the organizers wanted to definitely record and broadcast the musical component of the event. Powerful commercial interests like Coca-Cola, Polydor Records, and Telesistema were hoping to commercialize and capitalize on the influx of youth that would come for the music. Despite these interests, the music was still secondary, and the sound system, concert security, and general disorganization reflected this enormous miscalculation. There were also efforts to ensure that the gathering would not result in a political rally, which would certainly erupt into violence, as recent tragedies had demonstrated. The army was posted up nearby, police were constantly patrolling the grounds, and there were four armed guards near the microphone to dissuade any overzealous students from seizing the mic to spout leftist rhetoric. The Hippotecas, Mexican hippies, from nearby Mexico City began arriving in droves days before the festival was even slated to begin. An unusually diversified blending of both working and middle-class youth and more well-to-do college students showed up to hear the native rock bands that brought them all together. Soon it was clear that the kids were showing up to hear the music. Lots of them. The race was canceled. By the end, no one was quite sure how many people were even at the concert, with estimates ranging from 100 to 500,000, most settling somewhere around a quarter million concert goers. The show began in earnest, with early arrivers listening to sound checks. 
There were yoga demonstrations and even a performance of the Who's Tommy. By Thursday, so many hippotecas were gathered doing drugs, breaking down security barriers, climbing on sound equipment, that the organizers went ahead and started the concert early on Saturday, September 11th. Eighteen acts filled out the two-day festivities. It was rainy and muddy. The music was jubilant and mostly sung in English. There was plenty of drug use, drinking, nudity, dancing, sex, nasty or otherwise, and other debaucheries as you might expect. Counterculture symbols were proudly displayed, most notably the Mexican flag with a peace symbol taking the place of the eagle, an affront to the rampant nationalism. Despite using Woodstock as its model, there was a unique feeling that the Avandaro culture was the shaping of a movement and a sound, not just a regurgitation of American or British music, but a distinctive rebuttal to old regimes. Co-organizer Luis Deano famously noted that they survived for three days sharing rain and mud. That was an attempt to have an identity. The political upheaval was definitely on the mind of concertgoers, performers, and the government and military officials who nervously watched. The festival was initially broadcast on Radio Juventud out of Mexico City, but government censors cut off the broadcast when a member of the band Peace and Love responded to the lines from the song Marijuana Boogie by yelling, Chingo su madre quien no canta. Screw your mother, whoever doesn't sing. Most bands were reluctant to blatantly deride the government on stage, so they used the message in their songs and spirit to make a point. In the end, there were a handful of medical issues and drug overdoses, but no acts of violence by concertgoers, soldiers, or police. The president even sent 300 buses to help transport the hippotecas back to the city after the concert abruptly ended when Three Souls in My Mind blew out the speakers on Sunday morning. The truce between the youth and the government would be short-lived, however. As news, pictures, and broadcasts of the concert spread throughout the country, there was a deep concern about the lost youth who had gone to the concert. An unfortunate, iconic image of the concert was a 16-year-old girl, La Encurada de Avondaro, the naked woman of Avondaro, who was stripping topless on top of a lighting platform. Six sequential images of the act were published in Piedra Rodante, the Mexican version of Rolling Stone, with the text, Wow, that chick really caught the vibes. The scandal was further evidence of the degeneracy of the youth culture, on top of subversive songs like We Got the Power that were assumed to be advocating for riotous and violent uprisings against the establishment. The press reported that there were 23 deaths at the festival, when in reality those deaths were automobile-related from around the area and had nothing at all to do with the concert. There was even anger at the organizers, who leaders felt pulled a bait-and-switch by holding the event under the guise of a sporting event, though there's little evidence that they knew how massive a concert Avandaro would become. A term, Avandazaro, was coined for the systematic repression of La Onda in general and specifically Mexican native rock music by the government in the wake of the festival. Rock and roll's delivery of messages that can permeate society and the ability to gather masses of people were deemed dangerous and destabilizing. Production and distribution was immediately targeted. Songs commemorating the festival were banned from radio. This escalated to all rock music as it could cause corruption of language, proper customs, traditions, and national characteristics. Television footage from the show was confiscated, though some underground film survived. Polidor decided it would be more prudent to try to sell the recordings from the show back in the United States and some other countries. The counterculture magazine Piedra Rodante 
was forced to shut down. Live performances were prohibited from all manner of venues, from auditoriums to bars. Musicians were forced to either adapt to a more traditional and acceptable style of music or to take their performance to underground clubs. Certainly, musicians protested and conflicts between authorities and fans arose, but the effect was great. The native Mexican rock movement that culminated in the Avendaro Festival was strangled. Many of the bands that played Avendaro were the victims. Illegal concerts in warehouses and on the backs of flatbed trucks were held. Though Avendaro was gone, the sabrosa nature of music led to bands discovering punk, heavy metal, disco, prog, new wave, and even more traditional music. One interesting offshoot genre is rupestre movement, which is socially-minded underground street folk music championed by Rodrigo Gonzalez. Here's a clip from his song Metro Baldaras. Sáquese de aquí, señor operador, este es un secuestro y yo no me Mejor haga caso para ustedes mejor, así es que hágase un lado porque ahí le voy. The importance of the short-lived Avandara music style is in its constant searching for a voice and its constant fight for freedom. And like the cadet who leaped to his death, shrouded in the flag of the country he loved, sometimes you don't win those battles. But the actions, symbols, and music you leave behind are far more powerful and will always be remembered. This is a festival I had never even heard of. When you mentioned wanting to work on this, like, I don't know, over a year ago probably, I didn't know what you were talking about. Uh, And once you started really digging into some more research and I started listening to some stuff, this is, it's crazy that people don't know more about this. It's not really out there. I don't think a lot of people know about this style of music for a couple of reasons. One is because it was, the musical style was pretty much shut down by the government right, right after. And the other thing is it just, it's just mostly of the information is in Spanish. Like this was by far the hardest turntable talk I've had to research because a lot of the information was in Spanish. And I know just a minuscule amount of Spanish is enough to get me in trouble, but it was hard to kind of piece together some stuff. Uh, there was one book, uh, Refried Elvis, The Rise of uh, Mexican Counterculture by the Eric Solas guy that we mentioned earlier. That was, it's an incredible book, well-researched, but that was uh, indispensable uh, to me in making, you know, in writing about this concert. And we really just kind of touched on it. There's, we probably could have packed in twice as much stuff, but we wanted to kind of keep it to the point where it was interesting and, and kind of gets main points across. It's interesting how similar parts of this were as far as what the government crackdown was like, how it was similar in ways to what we talked about when we were talking about uh, Joseph Stalin and the Bones records. Like, they just can completely shut down this just fun music because they think it's turning into, well, in that case, it is turning into uh, revolutionary noises, but it's only because of what they're doing in response to them enjoying music. It's totally crazy. You know, you get so so focused on your own country and your own culture, and, you, you know, you hear all about... Kent State, and then you read about this, that 
400 kids were <laughs> killed, you know, or just disappeared. Like, I mean, it's just incredible, you know, that what they were doing with that dirty war. But unfortunately, as we read more and more about music outside the, you know, Europe and in America, you hear about like how much of kids had to put their lives on the line to, to listen to music, like how important it was and how it helped give rise to those countercultures and those rebellions. It's refreshing to hear these bands that have so much spirit and really have so much at stake. There was, you know, one of the things talked about, so there's some genuine fear on the part of performers, like they have armed guards around the stage, you know, you had to pretty much walk the line at the same time, you know, you were trying to make a point. There's you re- there was a recognition that this was something bigger than just a concert at that time, I think, at least from what I understand, so... I know you had listed some other names that we didn't mention. Did you find a lot of other bands that you got to like listen to clips from um, on YouTube or anything? There's a few. Um, my favorite that we didn't mention was La División del Norte. They were kind of a funkier band, kind of in the lines of like Blood, Sweat, and Tears in Chicago. But they have a couple songs I really liked, and their singles look really cool. Kind of similar to... La Revolución de Emiliano Zapata, like they have kind of that revolution type style on their records. And I think they were named after an armed faction of bandits from the Mexican Revolution. But uh, that was the one band that I really noticed. Those two psychedelic bands, Kaleidoscope and those spiders are really good too. That Emiliano Zapata, that's one that I, you and I have listened to probably for 10 or 15 years. We've, we've at least... We've known about it and have listened to some of the songs, and it is a great album, but it's, I don't know why it hasn't been reissued. It's its something everybody should love and know about. Oh my gosh. I looked into buying a single, the, the Nasty Sex single, which is way shorter than the, the, the LP version. Like the LP version is like seven or eight minutes long, the single's two or three minutes. And it was more expensive than I wanted, had to pay, and you have to ship it from Mexico. All these records are kind of hard to find. They're not super expensive. They're expensive, but they're not like, you know, crazy expensive. But you have to ship them from other countries. Like they're just not in the in the U.S. And there really isn't a, too many like great compilations. It seems prime for a great compilation. There's. Do you remember those peace, love, and poetry psychedelic music compilations yeah. that came out probably when we were working at the CD store? Late nineties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they have a couple of the good psychedelic Mexican bands. I have a CD that I bought when I first heard about the concert called Los Vibraciones de Septiembre, Leonce, or whatever, you know, Vibrations of September 11th, which is not like concert recording, but it's bands who were at the concert, some of the songs they played. And I looked up how much that was on vinyl, and then people were asking for, you know, $400 for that on vinyl. So just it's just kind of hard to collect. <laughs> Oh, the other record I want to mention is that the guy from Love Army, Paraja Alberto, his album is really good. It's not as rockin', it's a little bit more folky, but that seems like that it could be reissued by Mississippi or Light in the Attic and it would fit in just fine. <laughs> it's really good stuff. All right, thanks for thanks for doing all that work. Oh, no problem. I loved it. All right. I think it's about time to play some songs. All 
All right, I'm going to go first, and my first track is actually a song that I I love that sort of reminded me of what, what we were just talking about, and this is a band called Lagonia with a song called And I Saw Her Walking. <laughs> Again, that was Lagonia, a Peruvian band, with their song, And I Saw Her Walking, from their 1968 album called Glue. Lagonia is a band that formed in 1965 using the name The New Juggler Sound. Um, at that point, they were just a very typical British invasion-sounding band. They played a lot of very Beatles-esque songs, which is fine. They added another guitarist, and they released a few singles. They wrote a lot of songs. They appeared on some TV shows. They seemed like they were doing pretty well. They were good, but they weren't incredibly unique. 
Um, and then right around 1967, 68, one of the guitarists left and they found a replacement. One of the other band members was just walking around and he saw some kid playing guitar on the beach. And the kid was very young, like in his teens. He had just moved to Peru from America and he had a he had a real strong interest in American blues and British psych. So they got him in the band. He was really good at guitar. And so now they had that on top of the sound that they had already started with. Then after that, they changed their name to Lagunilla, which was a play on the word agony or the agony. Um, after releasing one single, they kind of decided that they needed a keyboardist. So then they found a keyboardist. They got really lucky again with this guy who owned his own Hammond B2 organ and loved Brazilian jazz. So now they got this Brazilian jazz um, sound on top of the psych and the blues and what they already had in there with uh, the Peruvian uh, traditional Peruvian beats and South American sound. It was, it was amazing. So now then they were finally a band that was like nothing else. They were the only rock band in Peru that had a Hammond organ and maybe the only one in all of South America. They combined all of those individual in influences into like two great albums. After they released two albums, they broke up. Two of the guys left, um, and I don't think that the reason was that they weren't feeling like they were getting much out of music. Very similar to what we were talking about earlier, Peru was kind of ruled at the time by a very mil militaristic communist dictator who had started making it very difficult for people to play rock music, as we as we have talked about here briefly. So that's Lagunia, great band. They've got some really cool, really cool sounds. And one thing with that, the guy in the Hammond who played the Hammond, the keyboardist. When they would drive around from town to town playing shows, all the other band members, I think there were four other band members in there, would drive in a car up front pulling a trailer, and he would be um, laying on top of his Hammond because it was like the only <laughs> one in the... It was, there were so few of them around, and they're so expensive. He wouldn't... He was so terrified if anything happened to it. He would always travel on top of the Hammond organ to make sure nothing happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> but really, really good band. That's pretty great. <laughs> My copy of that is like a two... 2016 reissue on a Spanish label called Vinylissimo. Uh, it's not not super expensive. You should be able to find it. Um, I think I probably got it at Reckless Records in Chicago. Well, my first song is a band called Los Belmonts, and it's Apretelo. Tristezas, pues te causa dolor Ver que la vida solo enseña lo peor Crees que en el mundo no hay quien entregue su amor Sabrás que si hay, hay, Quien quiera de verdad Aquí te doy mi corazón Apriétalo, apriétalo Así, ay, 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 La felicidad en otros brazos y encontraste maldad Verás la vida, mil sorpresas nos da Y ya no hay, ay, 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 ay En quien poder confiar Aquí te doy mi corazón Apriétalo, apriétalo Así, ay, ay, ay,
estás pues te causa dolor Ver que la vida solo enseña lo peor Pero es que en el mundo no hay quien entregue su amor Sabrás que si hay, hay, Quien quiera de verdad Aquí te doy mi corazón Apriétalo, apriétalo Así, ay, 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 That was Apretelo by Los Belmonts. So as you could probably tell, that was the uh, classic Dave D. Dozy Beaky Mick and Tick 1966 classic Hold Tight that was featured in the uh, Death Proof movie, that Quentin Tarantino Grindhouse movie. The Belmonts are just kind of a no-name refrito band. Joe actually found this record for me at the store he used to work for, and he sent it down. It's got a bunch of kind of fun covers. It is on Orpheon. It's uh, 1984, so it's it not like a an original from the era, but it was kind of like a greatest hits type of thing called 15 Exitos. Anyways, real fun song. Love listening to that song and perfectly fit with this episode. My second song is by a band called Anna and Jaime, and the song is called Nina Nana. <laughs>
15 and 17-year-old brother-sister folk rock combo um, or duo from Colombia. And so they're not from Mexico, but they this song really has a pretty avondaro sound. It's from the same era. It's from uh, originally came out in 1969 uh, on a album called Dier a Mi uh, Gente. So uh, on Discus Discus Orbe um, record label. I hope I'm saying any of that correct. I actually have it on a compilation uh, that I've played songs from before called Four Joan Chains Heavy Psychedelic Ballads and Dirges. It's a pretty fun, cool song. Kind of had that right sound. So don't have a ton to say about either of my songs. I thought they kind of fit well, and they're both stuff that you probably just won't hear listening listening to the radio. So, My second song, our last song for the night, is going to be by a band called The Plugs, and it's called Hombre Secreto. <laughs> Secreto by The Plugs, their cover of the Johnny River song Secret Agent Man. Um, I have that from the Repo Man soundtrack, which is that Harry Dean Stanton vehicle that you may remember. A really great soundtrack and a lot of good stuff. It's got Iggy Pop, Black Flag, Circle Jerk, Suicidal Tendency, The Plugs, and so on. Lots and lots of the uh, Fear. Fear was even on that. Really good. Great album, which I... <laughs> it's pretty cool. Good, good movie. I think it's even a better soundtrack. Anyway, the... The Plugs were a punk band in L.A., one of the very few and probably the most prominent Latino punk bands in Los Angeles or maybe even in the States. They're really good, really uh, fun band. They weren't around for a long time. But my favorite story about them is that in 1984, when he was allegedly promoting his album Infidels, Bob Dylan went on The David Letterman Show. And he went on there with basically The Plugs, minus one guy, as his backing band. So... And they played three songs. One was a, an old Sonny Boy Williamson song, one, and two were songs from Infidels. One was uh, Joker Man. And they were some of the best versions of any songs he's ever played, ever. Like, this is amazing. So he was, apparently, he was still into, and, and had been for a while, kind of going out, checking out local bands and stuff. And he had the plugs come over, and they would just kind of play songs every once in a while. So he had them come on to the David Letterman show, 
they didn't even know what they were going to play when they came out here. They hadn't ever practiced really. One of the guys says, if by practice you mean finish a song, no, we never practiced <laughs> any of the songs that were played. They just goofed around and played. And so they came out and they did these these three songs and they left. And there were some rumors that he wanted them to be his backing band on an album or for a tour, but it never nothing ever ha- happened with it. It's really cool to see that video. We should post that video because it's one of the best live songs ever on the David Letterman show. And he had a lot of really great bands on there. And it's cool that Bob Dylan found the plugs and had them had them come on there. It's a really great performance. The version of Joker Man is even better than the, the version on Infidels, which is, it's a good song. And the Sonny Boy Williamson song, it sounds like something off of Blonde on Blonde. Um, and there's one part of one song where Bob Dylan is, he puts a harmonica in and it's in the wrong key. So he takes it out, it's like three minutes into the song. He takes it out, he goes over to where his harmonicas are. It's like some kind of joke that's being staged and he pulls out another one. And while the band is playing the song, he pulls out another one, he starts to play, it's wrong key. He starts to get some kid over to, to find the right harmonica. <laughs> this is like 40, 48 seconds or so have passed. And then he comes back in, they find the find the right harmonica and he, he continues the song and leaves. It's just a very bizarre, awkward scene in the middle of a, an amazing song. Yeah. yeah plugs are pretty fantastic you i wish they had more stuff i don't think they had a ton of stuff but those are the only three songs i have by them on vinyl all on the repo man soundtrack and that they're good songs but the secret agent man is just it's such a fun song anyway and they do a really great job of it absolutely all right you ready to settle up on some trivia sure i could try it okay all right. As a reminder, I played uh, eight clips of Refritos, you know, Mexican songs. I think they're all Mexican. There might be some from different Latin American, South or Central American countries. But anyway, Spanish language songs that were uh, covers of much more popular English songs. All you got to do is tell me what the what it's a cover of. Okay, let's hear them one more time. Track one. Track two. Track Track five. Track six. Track 7 And track Ocho All 
right, Joe. What you got? Okay. I'm, I feel pretty good about a few of them, and I'm uh, frustrated by a few of them, too, that I that I haven't been able to get, even though I, I know the songs. And if I had a, a couple more swings at them, I would hit it. Number one is the one that I am most confident, if I could listen to it two more times, I would get it. I can't, I, I can't pull it out. What is that one? That is a cover of Dandy by the Kinks oh, by God. Los Bohemias. Great song. Okay. Yeah. Good one. I was pretty excited when I found that one. What'd you get for number two? Number two, I think, is a cover of Donovan's Catch the Wind. You're correct. It's Donovan. It's not. The song is actually Colors. Colors. And is... I was going back and forth between those two. Damn it. Okay. Okay. Those they, are the two that get alike. covered a lot. And yeah, they. I think they sound a little bit alike. And that band was Eldrax. Nice. Good name. Song number three is Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. <laughs> yep. Okay. It is Los Monkeys. They, they called their band Los Monkeys, and they mostly did covers of monkey songs. So they... Really had their shtick going. That's great. <laughs> it's kind of meta if you think about it, really. Uh, number four was the next one that I, like, I know at some point it's like having a some fun tonight, and I just cannot, I can't pull it out. What What is that one? That is a cover of Traveling Band by CCR. The band is the Cyclopes. I assume that translates to the Cyclops, and they call the song Banda Viajera. All right. Number five, I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like it's cutting off right at the point when I have a chance to get it, which is what I always try to do, but that's I don't have it. This is by, by far the hardest of the songs. It is If You Need Me, you know, the Solomon Burke song by Those Shakers. Oh, I never would have gotten that. Okay, See good job. Is, if you need mm-hmm. me, why don't... Anyways, yep. Wow, good one. Number six. I think it's Pictures of Matchstick Men. It is. It okay. is. This is like uh, maybe my favorite translation of the title, though. It's Los Flankers, <laughs> and the song, the the title they go by is La Foto de un Hombre, Picture of a Man. <laughs> <laughs> I know you got number seven. I think that's Monster Mash. It's <laughs> absolutely Monster Mash by Lou. And I, that's the one I was talking about earlier. I want to. Oh, it's great. Thing. Yep. Um, and I found that on a a video of. The Orpheon, apparently Orpheon was so popular, they had a couple TV shows, and one was called, like, Orpheon a Go-Go or Orpheon Disco a Go-Go. And so um, they put together clips of old horror movies with that cover version. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, K Monstro Son. Did you look and see, like, how much a, a 45 of that would be? I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Number eight is Pretty Woman. And it's Los Moonlights, Ocarino, but it's Pretty Woman. So Great. not bad. Fun. Really, really fun versions. Yeah. I got a lot of these from a website called Velve Primavera, El Rock de los 60 in Mexico. And he puts a lot of great clips. And it's all in Spanish, but he puts a lot of great clips and pictures and stuff like that. So I will make sure I link to this blog because he has all sorts. If you like these sorts of songs, he has all sorts of songs you can listen to. Um, and he seems to be very dedicated to documenting that. Some of the 45 and album covers are just really really cool too so uh i'll make sure i link to that when i put up the show notes or whatever all right well uh we appreciate you uh hanging with us and hope you uh enjoyed the episode if you could tell a friend that would be fantastic we want to get more involved on social media and get some more people we're we're slowly you know i think finding our way to new people we just you know joe and i aren't big marketer type people going out and pushing ourselves but um 
if you do know somebody who would enjoy it or, or loves music, yeah, find one of your favorite episodes or an episode you think they'd like and let them listen to it. We're trying to put one out every two weeks. So hopefully that keeps you all interested. I forgot to say my PSA, uh, which is please go out and buy some music, support musicians, support record stores, record labels. It's important. You, you know it is. Yeah, definitely. And if you get a chance, join us on Facebook, Twitter, email us highway high five podcast at gmail.com we're easy to find there we're picking up the pace again back on twitter seems to be helping uh meeting a lot of very cool twitterers there that seem very nice like very nice people if they are actually people it's great we will uh, keep rocking and we will see you next time the end. <laughs> if i have to listen to dark star for one more fucking minute <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.